This will be the end in our study in the book of Nehemiah. This is part 13. And continuing from last Sunday night, learning to hear God's word without condemnation. <clears throat> last Sunday night, I read the whole first 18 verses of chapter 8. It takes a little time. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pick out sections to give you the gist of the point that I want to make tonight in the teaching time. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3, and then I'm going to jump down to 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, down to eight. They read from the book, from the law clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Then surprisingly, do not mourn or weep, for, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Why do you think they wept? Well, guilt. They haven't had the law read for years. They've been in a totally different environment, and suddenly they hear this, and they weep. Verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. We don't usually think of real, real quiet in a church as a sign of revival, but sometimes it is. Be, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law of the Lord that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people should people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills, bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. And so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly 
of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Joshua, the son of Mun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. Day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So this Feast of Booths, it's, it's about six months before Passover. The idea was there to remember that they wandered in the wilderness without permanent residence, and God had protected them and guided them and directed them, and they were to construct these booths and live in them for a period of time as a reminder of what it was like as God led them in the wilderness into the promised land. The primary point that we were going over last Sunday is new beginnings can only be sustained by a deep and fresh commitment to carrying out God's word. Uh, Decisions are easy, plans are easy, but the beginning of any sustained rebuilding of any kind of commitment and loyalty to the Lord, it's always going to involve a fresh commitment to, dedication to, application of God's word. That's how God starts everything. This is what Jesus meant when he said, the seed is the word. If you're going to grow anything, what's the very first thing you have to have? You got to have seed, some form or another. So what, what is it that I want God to do in my heart? Where do I feel a, a lack? Where do, I, where do I feel failure? Where do I feel guilt? Where do I feel uh, just an inability to, to heed the call of God in some area where he's dealing with my heart. doesn't matter what it is. Where, where do I start to get, to get feet under me and moving ahead? Well, you start with the word. You start with the promises of God, the commands of God, the examples, the patterns. So this is the very first thing. There they are. The wall is basically up. The gates haven't been hung yet. Now they've got to start living like God's people again. Get the word. Get the word. Point number two. This is what we're studying tonight. One of the most important lessons a redeemed soul can learn is to hear the word of the Lord without condemnation. I I didn't say hear it without conviction. I didn't say hear it without repentance. Those should be there. I just said, hearing it without condemnation. It's in chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, and then 9 through 11. Ezra opened the book of the law in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it all, the people stood. It's interesting. It doesn't say anybody told the people to do that. And Ezra blessed the Lord the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So there's worship, but, but it's a mixture of worship and contrition. You can see it. This isn't faces up and smiling. There's nothing wrong with that either. There's times, but that's not this time. They're worshiping the Lord with their foreheads in the dust. 
9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. I want to talk to you tonight about receiving with understanding the goal of God's word whenever you allow it to speak to your life. You have your devotional time. You, you, you go to various classes, you come to church, you listen to messages. I'm talking about the goal of God's word. What is the goal of God's word as it speaks to my life? So I'm not just talking now about the entry point, understanding, hearing with understanding, the text talks about that. I don't mean just the entry point, I mean the goal. What's it for? Where is it going? These people hadn't been exposed to the word of God for a long time. And you can tell he reads, he reads, Ezra reads, the people, first of all, they stand. He keeps reading. It says with, and people explaining the meaning of what's being read. So they get the sense, the meaning, the truth of the text. And after standing, as they hear they start weeping. You, you stand out of respect. It's, it's, this is God's word. We treasure it. We haven't heard it for a long time. And then as they keep listening, tears start to flow. This is, there's something going on here is what I'm saying. And then they keep reading and giving the sense of what they're reading. And the people, they're not standing. They start to kneel and they bow with their faces to the ground. So they're overcome. They're overcome with sorrow. People begin to moan and groan. Their, their hearts are overcome with grief. They start to feel broken just by the sheer force of God's law as it's read to them out loud for the first time, maybe in their lives for some of these people. I think we all know what it's like. I do. You're reading the word or you hear the word proclaimed. And over and over again, as you read, you say, oh, man, I've done that. I've said terrible things like that. I don't love God like that. I've sinned against people. I've been guilty of greed. I've gone through slices of my life where I didn't love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I get it. No wonder these people ended up on their knees. It's almost as though they've been driven just by the sheer weight of guilt before a holy God revealed in his word. And it's right at that moment, Ezra, Nehemiah, and, and the Levite leaders, they realize that as they're reading, this is a new experience for them. This hasn't been read for a long time, and they're seeing what's happening, and all of a sudden they realize, and they have the wisdom to say, no, there's something wrong here. Something isn't right. 
This is not the response to what God is saying. And they say, stop this. That's what they say. I can't imagine many people doing that, seeing people repenting and weeping and bowing and kneeling and crying before the word. I can't imagine any pastor saying, wait, wait, wait. That just seems kind of unpentecostal to me somehow. Here's what they recognize. There's wisdom in, in the leadership here. They recognize that this isn't just brokenness. This is hopelessness. That's what the people are feeling. This is hopelessness. These people aren't just convicted. These people are immobilized. They're condemned. I'm convinced that one of the most needful things for every believer to learn deeply learn it early and and keep relearning it over and over again, is, is the arrival at a responsive frame of mind when you have God speak to you through his word. And to somehow get it through our heads, yes, there's conviction. Yes, there can be grief. Yes, there needs to be repentance. But God has a, God has a goal through all of those things to bring nourishment and to and to restore to restore the joy of the Lord where I might be finding joy in 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 my hobby, my recreation, my my money, my whatever it is, the joy of the Lord needs to be strength. I'm fully aware. I live this Christian life just like you do. I'm fully aware that we need to confess our sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that doesn't make you say, thank you, Jesus. And I know we need to confront what's off base and wicked in our lives. And I know that the word often needs to be used by the Holy Spirit to bring reproof and correction to our souls. Nobody has a Bible that hasn't been studying it seriously and doesn't recognize these words. 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17, Paul writes to young Timothy, and he says, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Correction is dawn. You're wrong on that. And you're not going to get anywhere until you admit that. That's reproof and correction, and it needs to bring about repentance. We all recognize that. And for training in righteousness. But the goal that the man or woman of God may be, here's, here's what the reproof is for. This is what the correction is for. This is what the conviction is for, that you might be complete, equipped for every good work. That's where God wants this to go. Or Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God. 
and know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous or wicked way in me. And, and when you read that, search me, know my heart, my thoughts. Boy, not just my actions. Now you're going to know everything that I've thought, every unworthy thought, every self-centered thought, every proud thought. See if, see if there's any wicked way in me. I might not be aware of it. You search me and point out every wicked thing in my heart that I'm not thinking about right now, that I'm, I'm carelessly overlooking. Okay? So when God does all of that, why does he do it? And it's that last phrase. To, to, he does all of that to lead me in the way everlasting. That's the goal. That's what God wants to do through that whole process. Obviously, we can see it in those words from Paul to Timothy. There's rebuke, there's correction. Our thoughts and our hearts, God splits open our thoughts and our hearts. Everything just lays right there before the one who created me. Obviously, there's times when that's that's just a painful moment of honesty and repentance. Sometimes even chastisement. The book of Hebrews talks about it. It's, it's legit. It's in the book. I understand all of that. I've preached on those things and the importance of repentance. But there's the need to just stress this idea, birthed by the Holy Spirit. There's this There's this natural, inbred tendency on my part to confuse the loving prod of the Holy Spirit toward repentance, to confuse that with the life-quenching plot of the devil to freeze my life in condemnation and hopelessness. And those are not the same thing. Does everybody in the room understand the difference between condemnation and conviction? Here's what condemnation does. The, the Holy Spirit convicts. Surely he convicts. I've felt it. The devil condemns. Conviction is, Don, you've been following me for 62 years now. And you know better than to let that attitude grow in your heart. And Don, I want to free you up. From that. You bring that to me in repentance and walk in my ways and you'll find the joy of the Lord. That's why I'm talking to you right now, daughter. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. Here's condemnation. Dawn, you do the same stupid thing over and over again and you call yourself a Christian? This doesn't work. And if I were God, I'd be sick to death of you right now. Seriously, what right do you have to come again and again and again and ask for forgiveness? Do you see the difference between those two things? That's what the devil does, condemns. The Holy Spirit convicts. And, and I'm not saying for a minute that conviction can't be painful. That's not my point. My point is conviction, even the pain of repentance, is to lead me in the way everlasting. 
That's the whole goal of that process. And that's what these people weren't seeing. It's not just hair splitting. It's so easy for all of us when we hear God speak to hear his words and miss his heart. When he starts to deal with our lives with the sword of the spirit, it's sharp sometimes. When he talks to me about my sin, it is never just to meet me with condemnation for my own unrighteousness. You can... These people are weeping. They hear the word and they fall on their face and they're weeping. You can cry over your sin. You can weep and wring your hands and those tears will never erase the stain from your heart. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. Let me read you these words around the Christmas season. John 3, 16 and 17. Everybody knows John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus says, that's not why I came. I didn't come to condemn people for their sin. I came to bear their sin, to offer them pardon through repentance. 3.16 is so important because it it tells me why Jesus came that first Christmas. 3.17 is equally important because it tells me why he didn't come. You see, it works like this. As, As long as you live the Christian life with any degree of faithfulness and maturity, the devil knows he's not likely to get you just to flat out deny God's word. He may not even be able to get you to stop reading it. And here's the thing. He doesn't have to do either of those things to gum up my Christian life. His easier target is to distort the intent of the voice of the Spirit through the Word in my mind, closing my mind to the loving intent of Father God through His Word. That's just as effective as robbing me of spiritual life altogether. I'm sure we've all had that experience, maybe at least once in this past month. God deals with your soul about that impure thought, that caving into greed, that betrayal of your first love, that unkind word, that promise not kept. And the fundamental question you have to immediately ask yourself is, Why did God talk to me about my sin at that point? Because if you see any other motive, then he wants to restore the joy of the Lord in my repentance and pardon and cleansing. If you see any other answer, it's spiritually defeating. It's spiritually defeating. Point three, and we're almost done. Your understanding of God's purpose brings joy and strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. See where I'm getting it? Joy and strength. It's such 
There are these important words in the text. I'm just looking at 9 to 12 right now as I wrap up. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were bowing in hopelessness. And so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Not just understanding the words, they knew what God was trying to do. That phrase, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Notice those words. God has shown you his law. You have just seen the light. Thank him for his ongoing work in your life. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And they moved ahead. When they came to understand the heart of Father God in speaking to them through the words of the law. Learn to know the Father's heart even when you feel the rod of the shepherd steering your life. Because he has only one goal. That is to restore the joy of the Lord and give you strength to move past the guilt through repentance and cleansing but never hopelessness and condemnation. There's just got to be people in this room. And you, you needed to hear that. Because maybe all you're seeing is the, the weight of conviction and condemnation and you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Know where God wants to take you through this. Know what his heart is. Do take sin seriously. Bring it to him. Trust in his grace. Move ahead in the joy of the Lord. Because when you see the Father's heart and are drawn to it in love, when you see that, you've got a much stronger force for holiness than just ticking the boxes on a list of rules. Do you see the difference in those two things?